This podcast is brought to you by Watch City Research, your user research partner. Check out WatchCityResearch.com for insightful blog posts and to learn more about our UX research services. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the 97 UX Things podcast. Dan Berlin here, your host and book editor. I'm joined this week by Adam Connor, who wrote the chapter, Remember the Four Questions of Critique. Welcome, Adam. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining the podcast today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, so I am currently the VP of product design for uh, Rocket Mortgage uh, and the Rocket family of companies. And uh, I've just joined there. I've only been there about a month prior to that. Mm-hmm. I was uh, head of design and research for a company called Elixir. Uh, and then before that, I was with MadPow for a bit and uh, in a company called Mass Mutual. Great. And can you tell us your career trajectory? How did you discover UX and how did you wind up where you are today? Yeah, so um, I I think like many people my age uh, kind of stumbled on, on UX. So I actually went to school to study film and animation originally. And, uh, and then for a number of reasons, didn't uh, see that all the way through and fell into getting a degree in computer science. And one, uh, one summer I really needed a job and because I could draw from my, my, uh, illustration skills from studying animation and knew a bit about computers from my computer science classes, uh, mass mutual hired me to basically make banners for their intranet, Mm. uh, as an intern. And, uh, and I stayed there for, I ended up staying there for nine years total. But the reason I stayed was because not long after I joined, uh, there was a a guy there named Michael Rollins. uh, And he was working uh, various digital project projects and introduced a lot of the, the leadership there to this topic called usability mm. and UX and uh, and it, it caught on um, and so I I had the great honor to, to work with him learn from him and be a part of kind of how UX matured at Mass Mutual for the nine years I was there yep. um, that's what really really got me hooked and from there I, I went to Mad Pow I was with Mad Pow for 11 years and the, the last kind of five or six years there I really realized that Hey, I love this UX stuff. Uh, I love human-centered design. What's even more exciting to me is figuring out how to make it work in an organization. Yep. How to actually get people bought into it uh, and collaborating throughout the process. So that's where uh, I did a lot of work, basically using all of MadPow's uh, clients as research participants and just studied what worked in certain organizations and what didn't work in other organizations. Uh, and we developed the design transformation practice based on on those learnings and the methods and tools we we developed there. So that's what got me into design leadership. Elixir hired me to build a design and research program there. Uh, Rocket brought me in to help with the the growth and scaling of their program. Um, yeah, that's that's how I got in. That's that, those are the kinds of challenges I love is is building the culture and organizational design to really let companies get the value that design can really bring to them. Yep. 
that's actually been coming up in conversations a lot lately that I've been having with folks is the UX maturity model and where companies are on that maturity model, whether they're just starting out in UX and realizing that usability is a thing, as you said, or whether it's deeply mm -hmm. ingrained in their culture. What are, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've come across in, in instilling UX in an organization? So funnily enough, the, uh, is funnily a word? It I don't even know. But funnily enough, um, the maturity model itself is actually, I think, one of the biggest challenges. Mm. Um, at least most of the maturity models I've seen, because I, I honestly think they're far too simplistic in terms of offering guidance. I think that that's why they're adopted a lot, because they, they tend to make it seem yep. very, uh, sim not simplistic in terms of like, it's easy to get level to level, but at least understanding different levels. But one of the things we found in the, our work at MadPow is that maturity really, like when you're talking to, a, 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 say, a design team, a team of whether it's a team of one or a team of 20 or a team of 100 about what they want to do to get to whatever that next level is strategies and techniques really they're focused on three different areas so we we broke maturity down into three different areas one is scale which is really about the volume of work that you want to do the number of places you want design methods to be used yep. uh, and strategies there tend to focus on things like tools and frameworks and things to make things repeatable or take out a lot of the rework that needs to happen that needs to happen so you're not starting from scratch all the time yep so scale is one and then next is strengthening which is really about the quality of the work and the impact it has and that often gets to things like measurement and really framing of problems and understanding the problems that you're you're trying to solve for and the connection between research and design and iterative cycles and things like that and then finally is depth. Really, how is the organization using design? What types of questions is it trying to answer? At the shallowest level, you have design as interface design. Design is how it decides how our products and services look. Then you go to kind of product and service design, which is design is how our products and services work. And then you move into kind of experience strategy, which is what types of products and services should we offer to these problems we want to solve for right. our customers? And finally, the, the deepest level, which not every organization gets to, but it, it's, it's a possibility, is business strategy, where design methods are actually helping organizations find problems to solve and new ways to offer value to customers. So those types of uh, approaches or the things you need to do to work on those really have to do a lot with the types of methods you're using and the relationships you're forming with the other areas of the organization. And when we broke things down, when we broke maturity down those three ways, it really helped us focus in with our clients on what they really wanted to work to achieve and how to get there faster. Very cool. That's super interesting and definitely uh, something unique because we tend to talk about methodologies or uh, design best practices. Um, not much talk about the UX maturity model um, and different ways that we can be looking at it. So what you've described is a much less simplistic way of looking at it, but it sounds a lot more meaningful. Yeah, that that was really the the impetus behind it was, you know, we'd be talking to people and I mean, I did this with Elixir, I've done this with Rocket and, and others. Um, you know, we talk about okay wanting to get to that next level of maturity but then we, we that's where the conversations get stuck like okay there's we can sense that there's all these challenges but 
really what are the meaningful actions we can take? What are we really trying to do? Is it is this a question of scale? Is it strength? Is it depth? Is it some combination thereof? And then kind of picking the right levers to pull to get there. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for all of that. Um, yeah. Let's turn to your chapter now. So the chapter is Remember the Four Questions of Critique. Can you tell us about that, please? Yeah. So, um, so critique is a topic that I'm hugely interested in because I fundamentally believe that uh, great design comes from a group of minds, not any one mind. Uh, and so in order to collaborate with people and really move something towards uh, execution, getting out in the world, we need to be able to talk about the things we're creating and analyze them uh, and really communicate with one another to decide, are we moving towards our objectives? Is this solution really going to work towards the thing that we're trying to achieve? And that's what critique is. Critique is a form of analysis in which you compare something, a solution, a decision, a plan that you have for something against the objectives you have for it and decide whether you think, based on everything you know, if you think it's going to work to those objectives and why or why not. And those are really the four questions. What objectives are we working towards? What thing are we analyzing against those objectives, whether it's a whole solution or some aspect of the solution? Uh, and solution, I, I use that to be very generally just whatever it is we're, we're analyzing. Again, it could be uh, an interface we're designing, a research plan that we're putting together to answer some sort of question, uh, a business process, you know, whatever it is. Um, do we think that this thing we're analyzing works towards these objectives? Let's take into account what do we know about our audience? What do you know about the context in which this thing is going to be used, et cetera? Um, and then yes or no, and why or why not, right? Those are our, our four questions. And I say it's really important to remember that because I think when we get, mo many of us have had the experience of getting into these kinds of conversations where we're sharing a solution or a potential solution and the conversation just goes off the rails. People mm. are picking apart all sorts of different things. They start sharing ideas and brainstorming. They're starting to talk about, you know, things they've experienced in other spaces. And like the conversation just goes in a hundred different directions when really what we want to do is get to this level of analysis, not to judge it as like, yes, pass or fail, but where are the opportunities we have for strengthening this solution? And as well as what are the strengths of the solution that we might borrow from to make other aspects even stronger? Yep. The objectives there, you mentioned coming back to the objectives and always looking back to the objectives when you're um, looking at the thing that you're evaluating. How do we get to the right objectives? Because um, I can imagine that having the wrong objectives on the table can lead us in the wrong direction. Yeah, so there, I mean, there's really two challenges that we see there, uh, you know, in the day to day is having the wrong objectives but also not having any objectives or maybe even a third one of not having the same objectives, mm. right? Um, and so I think, you know, there is a, there's a level of work that needs to go into, uh, you know, coming out of the research that we've done. Hopefully we've, we've done research um, and, uh, and just mind share that we've created amongst the team of what's the business problem we're solving? What's the audience problem that we're solving? 
what does the audience need in order to feel like that problem has been solved for them? What does the business need? We need to really detail those things out. You can frame them in any number of ways, like how might we's and jobs to be done or whatever. Um, there's plenty of great tools out there for, for using, for kind of structuring that. But we need to make sure we develop that as a shared understanding ahead of time. A lot of times, uh, Aaron Irizarry, who I've done a lot of this work with, and I, when we would work with organizations on this, um, we used to talk about observing critiques as kind of like a canary in the coal mine. It's a great way to see just how together a team is, yeah. because you can start to watch where people are critiquing a solution, and I use air quotes there, but they're all critiquing it against some separate set of objectives that they've got in their own head that isn't necessarily shared with the other team members. Yep. It sounds like the objectives are what separates opinion from critique. Well, I mean, there's always some element of opinion in critique. I mean, that's the thing is critique. Your, your goal is to be as objective as possible against those objectives but there will always be some subjectivity based on what you know and understand of the audience and the context. And that's, you know, that's another thing to keep in mind with critique is that it is not a substitute for research. It is a great form of analysis. It's a way to bring people together, to really use the knowledge that you, you have as a group so that you don't have to test every little thing necessarily but it is not a replacement for actual testing and actual data to validate a hypothesis. Yep. Yep. Um, how about actually doing that critique? Doing critique is not something that is natural for folks. We're, we're used to giving our opinions and telling folks what we think about things, but how can we be better critiquers? Yeah, well, um, so I think the, the easiest step is to create space for it, mm. time and, and space for it, right? Um, you know, longer term or over, overarching kind of in terms of what you want to build in your organization is more of a culture of critique where people don't necessarily need the space and time. It doesn't always have to be a formal meeting, but a great way to start is with those those formal meetings. So um, So thinking about, you know, do we set up, uh, you know, one hour every week for people to kind of share work in progress? Um, do we create, uh, you know, something I've been a, a fan of is uh, having, uh, you know, if you use Slack or Teams or something like that, an asynchronous channel where you can post something, not necessarily to ask for critique in that channel, because uh, asynchronous conversations can be a little tricky with critique, but to find somebody to get feedback from and say, hey, like, you know, I'd love to sit down with somebody for 15 minutes. Um, so creating those spaces is is first and foremost uh, one step one. Um, and then when you're in those spaces, making sure that you set the context, you know, here's the problem we're trying to solve. Here's the aspect of the solution that we want to focus on right now. Here's the type of feedback I'm looking for. Mm. You know, uh, depending on who you're critiquing with, you might even want to talk about what critique is. Uh, again, Aaron, uh, my friend Aaron, is a, a big proponent of kind of going over the rules of critique uh, with some folks ahead of time, um, really making sure they understand what's expected of them. But setting that context uh, and really focusing the conversation goes a long way. 
And then uh, if you're asking for critique, uh, you know, understanding what your role is as the recipient there, your role is not to defend the work in any way. It's only to provide information and insight as to why you may have made certain choices uh, and uh, you know, provide any kind of additional details people need in order to give you that feedback. Uh, and ideally, you know, if you are the, the person requesting it, participate in the critique as well. Critique the solution along with everybody else. Um, that, that actually can help you kind of get out of that defensive headspace a little bit and also just kind of demonstrate to others the type of insights that you're looking for. That's a great point. We forget that critique can be or has to be a two-way street. We have to know how to give it and we have to know how to receive it constructively and to uh, take what people are saying in mind. Um, yep. And I think it's important to also remember that critique isn't just for designs. Uh, I think there's opportunities for critique in many different areas of UX, whether it's, it's, it's content or IA or your research guides or reports or even your research moderation styles. There's opportunity for critique throughout all of UX. Yeah. I mean, I would say it goes beyond UX. Um, mm. We used to get make fun of a, a lot about this, but Aaron and I used to have a slide in our presentation decks that would talk about critique is not a design skill. Mm. It's a life skill. Anything that you want to improve at, you know, there's an opportunity for critique there. And, and lately I've been talking a lot to teams about, you know, what kinds of things can you critique? Um, because it, it seems to be coming up a lot in terms of conversations around feedback and giving people feedback. Um, and the things I talk about that you can critique are you can critique things that get that people create, right? You know, artifacts, constructs, whatever. You can critique decisions, you know, and whether decisions work towards objectives, but you should never critique people. Mm. That's one thing I, I encourage people to stay away from. Once you kind of get into that space, you're 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 scratching at something that maybe isn't worth getting at. What what's the difference between I mean it's gonna be subtle, I presume, the difference between someone's decision and critiquing someone? Yeah. So um, the way I think about it are decisions are uh, notions at a point in time based on context that is present at that point in time. They, you know, I think the, the mistake we sometimes make is that a decision is a reflection or an extension of a human being. I'm sorry, everybody listening, that's Arlo. That's my dog. He wants some attention right now. So um, when you're critiquing a decision, you want to talk about it more as the decision itself and the context that was used, the information that was used to make it not the person's values, not the person's beliefs, yep. not the person's attitudes, right? I think once you start treading into that water, you are, you're now making a comment about the individual and chances are you're going to do something to hurt that relationship quite a bit. Yep. So trying to, as much as you can, separate the individual from the thing you're critiquing is really important in my mind. Yep. One place where that is particularly hard is moderation critique because it's it's you. It's you sitting with the participant and finding ways to get the data out as best as possible. And that's you on the fly and your behavior mm -hmm. and being open to critique um, on those behaviors and how you can improve on that is really hard, but it's so important. 
Well, and, and I think that really also goes to the intent behind having a critique conversation. So it's really important that entering into that conversation, both parties, the people giving mm. and the people receiving have the right intent. If the person receiving the critique isn't really in the headspace of wanting that critique, of wanting to understand like, oh, how did my actions at this point in time affect, you know, or maybe hinder my, my objectives? Um, if they're not in that headspace, that conversation isn't going to go well anyway. They really, really, both parties really have to be there. The, the people that are giving the feedback really have to be there to, with the intent of wanting to help that person, help kind of improve those situations in the future, not about like, oh, well, this is how I right. would moderate. Therefore, you should do it too, right? And this skill is a team building skill. The, the way that you critique in the way you the way that you communicate while critiquing necessarily builds the team because we're doing it in a constructive way yeah and it it really you know you've got to think about critique in the context of all the other conversations when you're thinking about it in in team building too because if all your conversations as a team are critiques then that's really that becomes the whole nature of your relationship mm. and that's not necessarily a strong relationship either right. so you know you um, it's not that that means well you just do all your criticizing in other conversations you hopefully aren't doing any of the criticizing but make sure that you know there's there's kind of a shared understanding of when we're in this type of conversation this is the way we're communicating this is the type of stuff we're sharing when we're you know in our our end of the week team get together to just kind of chat and close out the week that's a different kind of conversation we can you know we can talk about what's going on at home right. or you know what we're looking for towards over the weekend so yeah it is it is definitely an important aspect of of team building but you, you can't be everything not every conversation is a critique yeah. i want to go back to something that you said earlier about using other people's ideas that come out of critiques um, this is something that you taught me many years ago with Design Studio. I remember you giving the instruction of when, when you're doing the charrettes and you're uh, doing sketching and you're iterating on those sketches and critiquing each other's sketches, we always encouraged people to steal each other's ideas in the name of evolving and uh, the, the design. That's a great way to build teams as well, to understand each other's viewpoints and to um, make the team better as a whole. Yeah, one of the one of the best ways that I know to use critique. I mean, you can always do the standalone critiques like what we were talking about, and you should. Um, but uh, really pairing it with brainstorming with the group as well. Hmm. Um, you know, so this is you know the idea behind charrettes and design studio is first like during a critique critiques aren't about brainstorming. Like you you want to actually work while you're doing the critique to try to make sure you avoid exploring other options you kind of limit that as much as possible but then you know as you're having that critique people are going to be getting ideas people you know people's brains just naturally right. go to problem solving most times so then following up with that critique with like okay here's where we are now now let's look at you know a couple of these spots where we thought we could we can make things better now let's all brainstorm some different ways in which we we could improve that right and using that uh you know that distributed cognition the the brain power of multiple people to to really diverge and 
find other ideas um, that that can be really powerful at yep. times yeah so was there anything else about your chapter and critique that you were hoping to convey to folks here today uh i i really think that you know critique critique is one of those aspects of our discipline of any kind of design oriented creative discipline that it's easy to take for granted. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I know how to critique. Um, or we do that all the time. It's easy to overlook how vital it is. It's, you know, many of us have had negative uh, experiences with it, whether it's, you know, through like art school critique or a company meeting that went off the rails. Um, but it really is a vital aspect of how we work. This form, this analysis that we do whether we're doing it on our own in our own heads or doing it verbally with other people it really is critical and paying attention to it paying attention to how we do it together in formal settings in informal settings off the cuff it's really important to the maturity of our practices and uh, and how we work together uh, and and with our our partners mm-hmm. so I would say, you know, while it might not look like the the next big uh, whatever buzzword you want to throw out there, um, it is one of those core things, and it's it's really not to be overlooked. Yep, absolutely, and it's an acquired skill. This is not an innate skill. It's something that needs to be honed and and practiced, and and um, it's very important to UXers to do that. Yep, absolutely. So in our final section here, we love to get a tip, a career tip. So do you have a, a tip for people either breaking into UX or who have been practicing it for a while? Wow, one tip? Um, I would say uh, my biggest tip, and I, I usually give this to uh, to any kind of students. I've, I've done a lot of teaching over the years. Uh, don't get focused on UX hmm. too much. UX is great, but there is so much to learn from other creative practices. Go study how uh, musicians write music. Go study how chefs prepare menus. Go study how filmmakers make films. There is so much in those other disciplines that you will find that looks uncannily similar to what we do but at the same time offers all sorts of new insights and understandings and perspectives that can bring new life, new energy, new ideas to what we do in UX. So, you know, do what you can to get to those, those other events, those other conferences, those other areas, and, and, and learn from those and bring those back. That's a great point. I love that. Um, there's so much creativity out there, and we only have our UX view but if we learn how other people are doing that creation and even that critiquing during that creation, it makes our practice even better. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, Adam, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I really, I really enjoyed this. My guest today has been Adam Connor, who wrote the chapter, Remember the Four Questions of Critique. You've been listening to the 97 UX Things podcast. Thanks for listening.